DiscerningHearts.com presents Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. Deacon Gutierrez studied theology at the Franciscan University of Steubenville and at the Angelicum in Rome. He holds a master's degree in theology from the University of Dallas. He has worked for the church in various capacities, including as a teacher and administrator, and is currently on the faculty of the School of Faith. His expertise includes Catholic social teaching, and his writings on the subject have appeared in several national Catholic newspapers and periodicals. He's the author of The Urging of Christ's Love, The Saints, and The Social Teaching of the Catholic Church. Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome, Omar. Thanks, Chris. Great to be back. It is so wonderful that we're able to gather together to talk about the compendium of the social doctrine of the church, Mm -hmm. particularly because it does address so many of the issues that affect our lives today. Absolutely. And as we've been discussing previous chapters, the compendium addresses things like family life and, and labor, international politics, uh, economics. And today in chapter 10, we want to talk about the environment and safeguarding the environment. Now, some would say, what does the church have to do with the environment? Why should they have an opinion at all? The compendium helps answer that question right at the start. Uh, as with previous chapters, it goes straight to the Bible, right, to our scriptures, and try to uh, sort of contextualize where the church is coming from. And when the compendium does this, it, it notes that God made us in his own image and likeness, that in a, in a very real sense in our theology, we are co-creators with God in shaping, forming, stewarding nature and the environment for the betterment of all God's creatures. Uh, so the Compendium is, uh, goes to um, Genesis, uh, goes to stories about God's placing the world in our care. And one of the things the, the, the Compendium makes note of, which I think is interesting, is that it says that we shouldn't see nature as an enemy. Sometimes uh, pagan religions or ancient religions viewed nature as personified in certain gods who were out to get them. You think of Poseidon or some of the other ancient Greek gods. But that's not the case for us, for us Christians, for us Catholics. God created the world and created it to be good. And so uh, we need not look at nature as an evil or as an enemy to what it is we're doing. Then as we see sort of uh, the nature sort of play out then in our salvation history, we see that nature actually takes part in the drama of our salvation. When you go to the Matthew's Gospel and you see the, the way there were earthquakes and, and various things uh, in, um, in the death of Christ and his death and at his resurrection, there was a darkness that came over the, the land, so the clouds, the environment actually got involved in the drama of our salvation. And then, of course, uh, St. Paul talks very eloquently in Romans, Romans 8, about how the creation itself is longing for the return of God. He writes in Romans 8.22, We know that the whole creation has been groaning with labor pains together until now. So um, creation, the world, nature, it's all part of who we are here in the world and what God has involved with us. Uh, Jesus uses nature in some of his miracles. So the church is very interested in nature. um, And uh, our relationship with God requires that we have some sort of relationship with nature, if for another reason than simply because he put us in charge of it. It is one of those things that I think there's a misunderstanding when it comes to stewardship, because 
we have a sense that you could go into the Bible and we are given dominion over all of creation. That does not give us license to use it in any way we desire. Right. And the rest of this chapter on the environment sort of spells that out. I thought it was interesting when I was approaching this chapter, expecting to, to read a great deal about, you know, forests or climate change and that sort of thing. And those things certainly are mentioned, but a, a good chunk of the chapter is really just about what you just mentioned, about the use of science and technology in this world, that our stewardship over creation does not mean that we can use it as we want to, however we want to, for our own whim, but rather we must use it for the greater good. And we can get into the details later, but that's, that's where the compendium starts to go with all this. It's so important for us to be able to work in solidarity with others. Boundaries between countries should not affect how people should unite to care f for creation wherever they may be. What affects, for example, Canada affects the United States, which affects Mexico and, their, and so forth. Right. Like, like we saw with the, the chapter on the international care, international politics, uh, with this chapter as well, we see where solidarity uh, between nations, between peoples of nations, really comes to the fore because we, we all share this little globe called Earth. And because of that, then we need to be able to recognize that what we do here affects people uh, in other parts of the world as well. So the environment ends up becoming, or discussion of the environment ends up becoming a good sort of foil, let's say, for the discussion of questions of science and technology and for the discussion of global solidarity. Because the church encourages us to use these gifts that God has given us, but in reasonable ways. So that right, exactly. not, not only persons are not harmed, but also that creation is not harmed detrimentally. Yes, exactly. The, the, um, the church encourages us to use the technology and the science that we have. Um, the compendium quotes Gaudium et Spes, the, the document, the pastoral constitution on the church of the modern world, when it says the Second Vatican Council affirmed that man judges rightly that by his intellect he surpasses the material universe, for he shares in the light of the divine mind. And it's in the sharing of that light of the divine mind that we, that we use in order to advance science and technology. They are good things, the Church teaches us, and, and welcomes and cheers technological advancement. But uh, with the extension of every new skill or technology comes the extension of our responsibility both as individuals and communally. So all of science and technology must serve the human good, the common good, because the underlying principle here with Catholic social teaching, as we've been saying over and over again, is the dignity of the human person. So science and technology has to serve the dignity of the human person and not some other agenda or itself. When we talk about science and technology, talk to us what that looks like in reality. What are some examples that can help us concretely enter into this? Sure. So we look at the uh, science and technology involved with, with what you and I are doing now in, in, in communications, the science and technology with regard to industries, so advances in industrial processes that help uh, produce things faster and more efficiently, perhaps with fewer resources. The advancement in electronics, which, which use uh, various resources like nickel or, or, or copper in order to build circuitry, in order to be able to advance other things. So the science technology involves the uses of the, of, of the environment and resources in any number of various ways, but also we start getting into things like bioethics and 
which is becoming increasingly, increasingly uh, more um, adventurous, let's say. The, the use of biotechnology with what we used to call test tube babies or in vitro fertilization, the use of biotechnology uh, now, sadly, with um, uh, the efforts to include three different persons in the creation of a zygote and an embryo, a human being, through the manipulation of DNA. All these things are part of science technology, and the church, again, fundamentally says um, using or advancing technology um, through the use of science is a good, but must serve the greater good, must serve the common good, the human good. And insofar as those technologies begin to take away our human dignity, and sadly I think we've been going to see that, and in a number of various areas, we have to be very careful about how we use it. Ultimately, our actions have ripple effects. And sometimes in trying to meet a particular need that we may see, we fail to look at the broader picture and the implications not only for those around us, but also long term that it can do the damage potentially it can do to creation. Right. And, and we, we talked about this in terms of solidarity before, um, sort of a geographic solidarity. So the technologies or the actions we we partake in here will have effects uh, in other parts of the world. Uh, one maybe concrete answer we can, or example we can use here, are the technologies for seeds, for instance, that are used in agriculture. When we have or start using genetically modified seeds, it's very difficult to keep the pollen from those genetically modified seeds on your field and off of everyone else's field. And so as a result, those that your choice to use a specifically kind of genetically modified seed affects those around you and eventually people around the world. One of the great tensions that exist nowadays are those companies that create those seeds now because of the inability to sort of hold in the pollen are trying to push out those who don't use um, their own seeds Um, and uh, those battles are being uh, fought in the courts right now in the United States at least well that's one concrete example Uh, but we also as you mentioned talk about not just geographical solidarity but chronological solidarity so that we understand that our choices made now affect not just us now but also those in the future our children and so the use of resources, the precedence perhaps that we set sometimes in the, in the moral sphere will affect future generations. And that's something we really need to question and, and be prudent about. The, the compendium keeps referring to the virtue of prudence and uh, moral principles and values, uh, which is part of Catholic social teaching through and through. Now, I'm so glad you brought up prudence because it's one of those things that I believe it was Cicero that said that a person who doesn't know history is destined to remain a child forever. Mm-hmm. And that may be a, a loose paraphrasing of that. But I mean, we can take a look at those technological advances that seemed like such a good thing. And maybe yeah. they were to a certain extent, but I'm, yeah. I'm thinking of in particular the aqueducts that brought the water to the Romans. Mm. And while they were, that seems like such a good, they thought they were doing such a advanced technique by placing lead all along the aqueduct. And mm. what ultimately happened is the water that came in to Rome was filled with lead. The community would suffer lead poisoning. I mean, those, those types of things, they, they could not see the ramifications. They didn't have the science and the particular technology they thought at that time so to understand that. But the effects of lead poisoning on that culture, history has shown us that there's a possibility that some of the decisions that were made, some of the actions that were taken, could that have been influenced by that particular technology of that time? 
That's a great example of how we need to be very prudent. I, I don't remember who said this, but it may have been um, uh, Mark Shea, a Catholic blogger and, and, and commentator on any number of various things. And uh, Mark's very, very wise, I think, summation of sort of the, the efforts of science and scientists in, in the modern age is to say, you know, what harm can come from this advancement? And then when everything goes to pot, they say, well, how should we have known, <laughs> right? This is where prudence comes in, right? That, that we, we carefully forward as we in, uh, implement scientific advances, uh, precisely because we're not always aware of what the ramifications may be. And you, you don't know you're wrong until you know you're wrong. So for that reason, we, we need to be careful. The compendium quotes John Paul II, uh, when it talks about this and, and the suggestion about prudence, it says, uh, quoting John Paul II, we are not yet in a position to assess the biological disturbances that could result from indiscriminate genetic manipulation and from the unscrupulous development of new forms of plant and animal life, to say nothing of unacceptable experimentation regarding the origins of human life itself. Uh, we, just, we just don't know, so it's foolishness, right? Uh, to sort of willy-nilly start playing around with these things as though we can uh, foresee all the possible ramifications. Yes, I mean, even as you're speaking, I'm recalling the use now of female cow eggs. It's difficult to get as many female eggs as necessary to be able to do embryonic stem cell testing. Oh. And so what they have been using is... In England, in particular, the eggs from female cows and placing mm. human genetic information in, in its place. So now you have a 98% human. It's because the reality is you need just a, an unbelievable number of female eggs to be able to do the type of experimentation they need to do. And you wow. can't get them from humans. There's not yeah. enough human women. In yeah. Israel, they're using the cadaver eggs from aborted female fetuses. Mm. And so, I mean, how slippery has the slope become? We have become the island of Dr. Moreau, haven't we? Yeah, and I think that's, that, that, that story is a perfect example of, of um, where sometimes science can go amok. It's interesting, uh, Dr. Leon Cass, uh, who was named as part of the President's uh, Biology Ethics Committee, President George uh, W. Bush, many years ago, uh, when he became the president of that committee, shared with the members of the committee a short story uh, by Nathaniel Hawthorne, of all people. The story was about a man who was a scientist who was about the perfection of nature through science and fell in love with a beautiful woman who had a little mark on her face and was convinced that he could remove that mark through the use of science and manipulation uh, so that she would be perfect. And she begged him not to do it, uh, but eventually she succumbed and he did it, and in the process uh, she ended up passing away. But Dr. Cass, I think, used this story to remind all those on the Bioethics Committee um, that uh, science can sometimes become what the, what the companion refers to as a kind of scientism, as an ideology, a, te a technocracy where we, we, we believe that we can expend human lives uh, for the sake of the advancement of science as though science itself uh, were a good so transcendent that uh, it justifies our playing God. And this brings up another theme, and we, one of the great things about Catholic social teaching is the interconnectedness between some of these issues. We saw when we were talking about the politics or international uh, rule, 
that one of the tendencies, temptations uh, of governments is to take the place of God in our lives, to take the place of religion in our lives. And sometimes with regard to science, technology, and the environment, we, we have the same temptation. We want to perfect nature. We want to become gods ourselves. And in the process, we end up destroying human lives. And that's, there's, there's never any justification for that. It's never okay to sacrifice human lives for the advancement of science. In this particular conversation and the chapter heading for the compendium, Safeguarding the Environment, I think for many people, what will instantly flare is this issue of global warming. Whether it is a valid issue or not a valid issue, it seems to be one that creates a great deal of controversial anxiety. Can we say that? (laughs) Especially when the church attempts to enter into the dialogue. Right. The compendium is, is pretty careful when it enters into this question. There's really just, I think, about one paragraph where it discusses it, in the paragraph 470. And I'll just read what the, the paragraph says at um, 470. In this context, one considers relations between human activity and climate change, which, given their extreme complexity, must be uh, opportunely and constantly monitored at the scientific, political, and juridical, national, and international levels. The climate is a good that must be protected and reminds consumers and those engaged in industrial activity to develop a greater sense of responsibility for their behavior. And that's it. <laughs> that's all the compendium has to say on the issue, which I think is probably the most prudent thing. Because come to know now, and this came out in 2004, the compendium did. But as we know now, thanks to the constant monitoring of global temperatures, we know for a fact uh, that the, the, the world hasn't been warming for the last 15 uh, or more years. Um, since around the late 1990s, there has been absolutely no warming. Now, since you know 1965 or so, certainly there has been a warming. That's undeniable. But for the last 15 years, there hasn't been any warming whatsoever. And yet, uh, carbon emissions have increased and, and uh, the carbon footprints haven't gone down. And so there's a real question, and legitimately so, as to whether or not uh, there is, in fact, this climate change. Dr. J. Richards, I think, is with the Acton Institute, I think put it very well when he asked us three basic questions regarding this issue of global warming and climate change. Now, first of all, the first question is, is the, is the planet warming? The second one is, is that a bad thing? Because we just shouldn't presume it's a bad thing. Third, um, do, do we have an effect or do we have a role in this? Uh, and fourth, are the initiatives being uh, suggested going to do any good after all? And those are questions that you can even see in this chapter of the compendium to a certain degree, the, the, the planet is not warming currently. Whether it will continue to warm after this, this sort of flat line period or cool, we don't know, um, but it's not warming right now. Is that a bad thing if it did warm? Uh, well, it depends on how much it, it does warm. We know, for instance, that the, uh, the ice caps in Antarctica um, are larger this year than they've been in any number of various years. So uh, that's certainly out of the question. Then do we have a role in it? Scientists, yeah, 97% of scientific literature says that we do have some role in it, but we're not the only role in it. There's a lot of literature that suggests that we don't have, we're not the, the sole contributor to the warming that has taken place. Uh, and finally, are the things that we're proposing to do about it going to do any good? Here, the compendium is very helpful, again, using this question of prudence, uh, is uh, whatever it is we're going to do, uh, how do they affect real people? And this is why this question of climate change is a really very important as a social justice issue, as, as an issue of social, uh, Catholic social teaching, because the, the suggested uh, uh, answers for climate change tend 
tend to be uh, very anti-poverty and hurt the poor more than anyone else. There is a compelling need, though, for the church to be able to address areas of the environment when we look at the damage that it does, and it affects those in particular, the poor, who have no recourse to stopping the contamination, for example, of water. Uh, We have been in areas in Guatemala, haven't we, Omar, where we've seen Mm -hmm. beautiful landscapes and water flowing through little villages that is is contaminated and white and undrinkable, and yet we see the animals going to that water. And we've seen areas where deforestation has crippled the uh, economies. While it was a short-term benefit, maybe a decade or two, it ultimately... Uh, hurt the the animals, the peoples, the those who would remain. And so those are those are areas that it is incumbent that we do speak out, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. Um and that, that's that's why um the compendium will talk about the the need to maintain and protect ecosystems and um protect biodiversity because and specifically mentioning the the jungles of the Amazon and forests and and the plague of deforestation. If you want directives for action from Catholic social teaching, they specifically say that programs for uh, planting uh, of new forests uh, should be engaged. Um, so the the compendium is very specific about that. But these questions of environment, we don't always see this in the, in the United States, but in places like, like Guatemala, we do see that where there's a great deal of, of mining, uh, mining for resources, uh, mining for materials, minerals, that go into the various things we, we like to buy, our iPhones and batteries and, and the, the nickel that goes into batteries, etc., uh, ends up being mined in places like Guatemala. Uh, and um, the runoff from those mines, the environmental impact of those mines on the indigenous people there um, uh, is really quite significant. And sadly, some of the uh, practices of the, of the uh, companies that engage in mining in third world countries uh, is not always responsible and sometimes is actually violent as those who are indigenous try to protect their own land or the sacredness of their own land and find themselves being run out or persecuted and sometimes even killed by the security forces of the companies that are doing this mining. These are all part and parcel of this question of the environment and we can't ignore those things and, and the international community should be able to step in and say that this is simply wrong. One of the points the compendium makes is that when you're talking about these these sort of global questions of environment, it's it's important to have a, a structure that sees the international or global effect and can, with some sort of uh, strength, step in and say, no, you may not mine uh, here, or no, you may not take advantage of the poor here, uh, because their human dignity outweighs our need for batteries. Well, I think that's the the key is taking a look at the ultimate ramifications. And there would be those that would say we have no business uh, making claims because what happens in one country is stays in that country. And the and and to be able to economically, so this is exactly what you're saying. This this crossing of these different areas, it, the pursuit and the for that country to do those behaviors that benefits the human person in the area of the economy. But does it hurt right. that person in the long run in the environment? 
I mean, those things have to be balanced out, don't they? Right, which is which is why the the church and the compendium say that the these questions of, of profits or economic gain cannot be the sole uh, factor we use in assessing whether or not a, a technology, a science that's used, or an environmental uh, uh, industry goes forward with its plan. Uh, profits are, are not more important than people, and uh, the church also says elsewhere that while profits are necessary. For businesses to to exist, they're not why businesses exist. Businesses exist to produce things and to help the common good, right? To advance the common good. Um, so the profits and and the business must be at the service of people, real people. Uh, we understand that uh, here in the United States, I think, and, and I think it's an important thing to to carry on to the rest of the world that the people are the most important thing when discussing a business. It's a really quite compelling. At the, it just happens to be the last paragraph in this particular section on safeguarding the environment. The companion would call us to, well, it says in paragraph 487, the attitude that must categorize the way man acts in relation to creation is essentially one of gratitude and appreciation. The mm. world, in fact, reveals the mystery of God who created and sustains it. That's right. So the, this goes back to that beautiful principle of gratuitousness that um, was here in the compendium, which Pope uh, Benedict XVI expanded on, laid out so well, and um, Caritas and Veritate in his encyclical from 2009. The um, this idea, if we if we approach uh, all these questions about the social teaching from a position of gratitude, gratuitousness, gratuity, thanks for what we have, uh, it helps p- place us in the position where we are. Uh, able or more, or let's say more able or at least open uh, to realizing that it's not about us, right? It's about receiving a gift and when one receives a gift one begins to have the kind of humility and objectivity, I think, to look at the greater good. The world presents itself before man's eyes as evidence of God, the place where his creative, providential, redemptive power unfolds, says the compendium. And so when we see nature and creation and science and technology and people and and, and all the wonderful things that we can do as gifts from God, perhaps uh, instead of trying to manipulate them for our own good, we can see them as opportunities to help our fellow man. Final thoughts, Omar, on this particular section of safeguarding the environment. Yeah, I think I would just uh, point out that um, uh, when these questions, I mean, from a practical point of view here and po- policy issues here in the United States, we, we have these questions of climate change and global warming, et cetera. One of the points the compendium makes is about the, the question of population and population control. Certainly one of the tendencies in those who talk about climate change is to want to reduce the number of people on the on the earth. And the compendium is really very clear that that's not an appropriate way of addressing the questions of the environment. And sadly, right now, it's um, more and more likely that we're actually going to have a population shrinkage here in the in the whole world. And so I would just remind listeners that the, the compendium addresses this and that those efforts to try to, in the name of climate change, take those uh, opportunities for the poor to have children or to push the agenda of contraception, abortion on other people, uh, that those uh, are still, and, 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 and as always, condemned by the church. Mm. Thank you very much, Omar. You're welcome, Chris. You've been listening to Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts, 
I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. <laughs>